0: Welcome to a brand new episode of Retro Pop, your home for all things pop culture and uh, and pretty much everything in between. Right here on the BICVP Radio Network. My name is Matt Johnson, one of your hosts, alongside my man Johnny Townsend. Johnny, how you
1: doing today, my friend? I'm doing really, really good. I'm doing really well. Uh, I got I was very upset earlier this morning because I woke up too early and. Uh, if I was really short, I'd probably have a Napoleon complex, but <laughs> but thankfully I'm a six-foot tall, so I guess I can't claim that.
0: No, you can't, unfortunately. <laughs> you cannot. But, uh, but yeah, welcome back, everybody. Last time we uh, spoke with you, we covered the history of Nintendo, the company Nintendo, essentially. And as we do with this show, uh, we want to kind of cover all ranges of everything. Uh so today our topic
1: will be uh the history of Napoleon Bonaparte. Yeah, name another podcast, I dare you to find another podcast that literally in a spin of two episodes goes from Nintendo to Napoleon Bonaparte. <laughs> uh you can't really find it ever <laughs> anywhere. It's <That's, laughs>
0: I may awesome say that are.
1: does not exist until now.
0: <laughs> we are pioneers. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <That> we are <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah. So we. Yeah, we so got this a lot is
1: to... a. Yeah, this is an interesting one, man. Um, just real quick. Obviously, I've you know, as a history nerd myself, I've definitely heard of Napoleon. I was aware of him. I knew of some of his stuff, but I never really had done a deep dive into him. So this was very interesting for me to go back and look into his life and what kind of made him who he was absolutely yeah i've I have plenty to say about him. and on that note
0: let 's go into our own personal history all right, so I probably heard about Napoleon first in Maybe end of elementary school, uh, which is fifth grade up here in Niagara Falls, uh, sometimes sixth grade in in, in various locations. Uh, but I think I primarily learn about him in seventh grade. We started doing world history, and Napoleon was—I don't know—he was just this very complex but interesting character. I, I don't know what it was about him, and in, in—I in, kind of realize it now. Uh, You know, he was just—he was very well articulate, very smart, just a great military mind. uh, Of course, as he created the French Empire, uh, which expanded almost all throughout Europe and at first parts of the United States. And but I've always come to appreciate Napoleon. He was kind of vilified to me, and I guess depending on what part of you know what side of history you look on uh it's a completely understandable argument and even some have you know compared him to hitler uh at some points uh which is which is a discussion for another day uh i've always kind of admired napoleon uh and the way he went about things you know he he was i consider him to be the ultimate opportunist maybe more so than uh <laughs> the world wrestling Entertainment's edge uh <laughs> <laughs> he really, yeah, he really was, uh, you know, he took power at a, at a time where there was a lot of instability in, in France and he made his way. I think he, he was legitimately the right guy at the right time for his position. And he was a master of like propaganda. And, uh, some of the things that really enamored me with him was like some of the, Paintings uh, of him yes. that were yes. done. Probably my favorite one is the romanticized version of him crossing the Alps, and it was actually my phone background for a period of time. I have the picture saved on my phone, but that, I mean, it was just a it was just a beautiful piece of artwork, and, and made him seem so much more larger than life for a guy who was five foot six, albeit being average for that time period. But um, but yeah, Napoleon was. Yeah, like in middle school, that he was kind of vilified, uh, you know, from a teacher's perspective. But the more I've gotten to learn uh, and read into, I read a ton of material on him in preparation for this episode, and and even beyond that, Uh, you know, I've almost come to sympathize with him a little bit, just a little bit.
1: Yeah, I think any historical figure of his of his stature, you know, he's I mean a well known name. There's going to be some good and bad with him. I don't really care who it is. You can throw in anybody and somebody's going to vilify them for one thing or another. And sometimes they deserve it. Obviously you mean Hitler, great example, (laughs) definitely deserves to be vilified for sure. Absolutely. Uh, Napoleon, for me, uh, you mentioned the artwork, uh, you know, I'm an artist. So growing up, I was always drawing and I loved looking at old paintings, but like they always just fascinated me the level of detail that get in these paintings and how just beautiful they were and how, they would even have the light, like, hitting the subject matter, uh, and and the shadows, like, just every little thing was fascinating, to the point where uh, I discovered the Napoleon paintings, and there are a bunch of Napoleon art, because, I mean, I'm sure you'll get to it when we get to the history, uh, he would commission art of himself all the time, like, constantly, and... Uh, one of my all-time favorite ones is probably the one where he's on the horse. Well, he's al- he's almost always on a horse on these, but uh, <laughs> he's on this ho- he's on this white horse, and the horse is kind of uh, like uh, it's like it's on two legs basically. Like it's I don't rearing. What's that called on a horse? I don't know a lot about horses, obviously. N- nor do I. Maybe that'll be an episode topic we can learn yeah, about I to horses. horses. <laughs> 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 Just so we can learn to be educated ourselves. Uh, uh, but to the point where I took that and we had a. In high school, when I was in art class, we had a uh, uh, an assignment where we had to take a famous painting and just alter it a little bit. So I took that one, and instead of a horse, I put him on a motorcycle. <laughs> oh, my God. Do you yeah. have a picture of that? I wish. It's long oh gone. It's no. been forever ago.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I would ask for a print of that like in a heartbeat.
1: <laughs> that sounds uh, awesome. But we yeah, do so that one. So that's how I was kind of uh, that's how I kind of was introduced to him was through his was through the art he would get commissioned of him. And obviously since I'm a sci I'm a, a not a science buff, I'm a history buff. Uh I really uh was fascinated by the you know, the French Revolution and all that that's where you kinda of get into him a little bit. And honestly he has a lot to do with American history too. So uh which I'm really big on being from America and all. Uh, you know, <laughs> with the there's a certain little purchase we made that he's very instrumental in so yeah just a uh, little bit just a little bit um so he was always kind of a fascinating uh, person to me historically and i was really happy that we got to do this because i really want to i like learning stuff i didn't know before and there's a lot that i did not know about this man absolutely absolutely i think that's i was glad this
0: Show works. So I was actually contemplating doing a like five part mini series podcast just on Napoleon alone, uh, and doing various history you know people. But he's he probably ranks in my top, uh, and it's fitting that he's in that time period too. Because my history, uh, I mean, what I like to learn about, obviously U.S. history of course, but I'm a big fan of like the colonial times, and I'm talking like like 1600s, and I'm even going to go up to as far as like the mid 1800s, uh, that kind of area. The, the the style of, you know, of military engagements and, and, and just architecture, culture, just all that stuff. And that's not just with American or French history. That's across the board, across the world. I think it's a very fascinating thing for me to learn about. Uh, but I am a big fan of French history, too, for some reason. I have no French, uh, you know, blood in me. Uh, you know, no none of that lineage. Uh, but French history and actually even Russian history has been particularly interesting to me. Um, you know, Napoleon stands out. There's been a lot of you know uh, respected, discussed French leaders over time, and just notably a few. You know, Charlemagne, uh, Louis the There's a whole bunch of Louis uh, along the way, and we'll reference a few of them in this episode. But I think Napoleon stands out the the most, he, even you know amongst some of those those people. Just just how he ruled. Uh, it was it was rather interesting uh, to hear. You know, to read about his beliefs and and how society should be and, and you know, his strategy on a, on a battlefield was just unmatched by anybody.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's – this is going to be like a weird, strange comparison. But as I was learning, I watched a PBS documentary on him and uh, preparing for this. And, like, when it got to his leadership skills and abilities, it really honestly reminded me a lot of uh, going – really into pop culture, uh, in comics, like, uh, Cyclops or Leonardo, that type of thing. It's a weird comparison, but... No, I can see that. Very, like, strict, like, very organized, uh... Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: So that's kind of where, that's kind of the vibes, to me, he was kind of giving off. That's the way he was vibing to me. Vibing to you. Yeah. (laughs) Um, all right.
0: So, I think that about, does it for our own personal history, let us get into the actual history of Napoleon. All right. So, yeah. Uh, Napoleon was actually born in uh, Ajaccio. Which is uh, Mediterranean island of Corsica, and for the, a lot of a very common uh, belief is that you know Napoleon was French and, and yes. no, not even in the slightest. He was actually, that's what I
1: thought. I thought he was French the whole time. That's he, the, literally the first thing that blew my mind is like he's not actually French.
0: Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy, but he w- he was actually born um, the same year that. Uh, the French took over Corsica. Corsica was actually an Italian, uh, you know, belonged to Italy. So, realistically, Napoleon is Italian. Um, But yeah, he was the second of eight children born to Carlo Buonaparte, uh, who was a lawyer, and his mother, Letizia Romolino Buonaparte. Uh, All of the parents were members of minor Corsican nobility. The family family was not wealthy. Um, So, yeah, as a boy, Napoleon actually... uh, he hated France. He really, truly did. He hated the, you know, the fact that they took over, you know, Corsica. He actually hated, disliked his father, uh, very much too around this time because his dad was uh, a revolutionary. He fought against the French takeover of Corsica, and then eventually became the representative of Corsica to the French Assembly.
1: Uh, yeah, and wasn't he also way more of a mama's boy, basically? He was. He, he yeah. definitely was. He said he attributed
0: all of his success to his mother, yeah. um, who was obviously with him all the time and raised him. So, um, so yeah, there's that. But as a boy, Napoleon attended school in mainland France. Actually, at nine years old, he went to uh, the French Military Academy. Uh, actually, it started off as a, uh, I think it was an arts – no. I can't remember the exact, exact uh, type of school. But he started off one place, ended up at the Military Academy – all at nine years old and was pretty much raised through there and he was actually bullied often because of his accent uh and here us americans were like oh the french have a severe accent but they're laughing at an italian twist on their own language uh so he had to learn you know he had to learn a brand new language upon all these you know uh, on top of military and then uh in 1980, or excuse me, 1785, uh, he graduated from the military academy, became second lieutenant in an artillery regiment of the French army. Uh, this is right about the time that the French Revolution began, and yeah, France was a, just a hot mess at that time. Uh, people were upset that the French actually sent uh, soldiers, supplies, and this and that for the to the Americans for the American Revolution to battle uh, England. They were broke, and it was just. Yeah, it just was not a good situation, uh, but the right time period for Napoleon to be a part of. Uh, within three years of the French Revolution beginning, uh, they overthrown the monarchy and proclaimed, excuse me, proclaimed a French Republic. During the early years of the Revolution, Napoleon was largely on leave from the military and home in Corsica, where he became affiliated with the Jacobins, a pro-democracy political group. Uh, this Consisted of Maximilian uh, Robespierre. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce that name. Forgive me, uh, but Maximilian was in charge of the Reign of Terror, where they would there was murders every like every day and by the droves. Anybody who opposed the Jacobin rule, uh, you know, in France was sent to the guillotine but in 1793 the following a clash with the nationalist um Corsican governor Pasquale Paoli uh was actually Napoleon's uh hero was uh you know he called out Napoleon and Napoleon and his family fled to mainland France where he returned to military
1: duty uh, Yeah I think that's another thing too like he really looked up to that guy Yeah um and that had to be heart you know heart crushing to somebody who if you really look up to somebody, you know they always say, "Don't meet your heroes," type thing. Oh yes, uh, I know. Yeah, I know too. Uh, <laughs> it, it's almost always going to be a letdown. But that was like a letdown of epic proportions. He he just hated Napoleon.
0: He did. Yeah, he called him a I think it was an, a large immature boy or something like that. Yeah. And uh, basically, it was because he kind of went to France. He you know probably viewed him as like a, almost a traitor to the Corsican people. And yeah, it didn't. And, It just, it led to a lot of, a lot of hard times and a lot of, you know, heartbreak for Napoleon. Um, but, uh, let's see. During this time, uh, of the reign of terror, however, uh, Napoleon was promoted to the rank of brigadier general in the army. However, after Robespierre, uh, fell from power and was guillotined himself along with, uh, Augustine, who was Maximilian's brother and Napoleon's friend, um, in July, Napoleon was briefly put under house arrest to his ties to the brothers. But uh, Napoleon, who was well-versed, he, he can write really efficiently, he's very well-educated. He actually wrote his way out of house arrest um, and helped with the new regime uh, that was taken over after the Reign of Terror. In 1795, Napoleon helped suppress a royalist insurrection against the Revolutionary government in Paris and then was promoted to Major General. Uh t- t- 1796, Napoleon commanded a French army that defeated the larger armies of Austria. Um, he was actually, you know, as as he won these battles and, and you know, helped his, his, his new government out, uh, the promotions kept coming. He actually uh, got married in 1796 uh, on a whim to Josephine, who... Um, and a few days later he was sent to lead the army of Italy against the armies of Austria who France had been at war with for some time and uh had been trying yeah. to push them back across the alps
1: yeah the, i was I was texting you about how i don't know if fascinating is the right word but how interesting his marriage was to her like it was i don't know how deep you want to dive into this but like it was to me it was very it was it was like because at first she didn't like him at all. Yes. Like she was, she even, uh, I don't remember her exact quote, but pretty much she was disgusted by him. Uh, Like it was just like, it was, uh, it was gross. He was gross or something. (laughs) Uh, She was very blunt about it. And, uh, but basically from the way it sounded and the things that I read and saw was uh, she was getting older. She was in her, she just, she was like in her early thirties which back then was old to not be married because I think her husband had died or something like that. Yeah. She was a widowed mother of two, I believe. Yes. So she was widowed and had two children, uh, you know, and at that time, uh, it was, it was, uh, and he was a younger man and, uh, it was just really interesting how, like they kind of went back and forth on their love and hate for each other. He almost, he, he maintained that he always loved her, but there were some things that he would do that. I don't know if that's absolutely true. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, they—they uh, they, it was a really strange relationship. And they kind of switched places in society because at first she was above him and really helped him out a lot because of her stature where she was in society. And then as he got bigger and more well known, they switched places basically.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and it was interesting. I one of the source books I read for this episode, and I've read it three times over. It's called Napoleon: A Life by Andrew Roberts. Uh, It's really good, like two thousand page or no, it's about a thousand page book uh, or so. But you know, Napoleon did affectionately love her at first, but yeah, like Johnny said, she scorned him. Um, He used to write letters to her. Daily oh, yeah. on the battlefield, and she would not return letters, and it would frustrate him.
1: And they were uh, very flowery, you know. Just imagine, yeah, he, he they was were a, beautiful he was,
0: letters. Yeah, he was. He was a, like a quintessential like, romantic. Uh, yeah, he, he was like at that time, you know, Paris, France. It's kind of like the what do they call it? The city of love, essentially. I don't know if that was the, the phrase that was really had at that time, but uh, Napoleon was a romantic in the tra- uh, traditional sense, and. Uh, Josephine was a, a woman in the modern sense where she doesn't like goofy, goofy sappy love letters. Oh, yeah. and, <laughs> and she did not appreciate Napoleon's attempts. But yeah, she would he he would send letters to her daily uh, while away and he would not get a return letter. He actually yeah, wrote yeah. a letter threatening her to return a letter. He'd come back and stab her with a small <laughs>
1: sword, quote, end quote. Well, even after like getting married, they didn't even really spend a lot of time with each other. Uh, no, which is very crazy. strange.
0: It is. It is. And I yeah, we'll get a little bit into uh you know their marriage on a little bit. But um but yeah, so he, he actually uh managed to push this Austrian army back uh which was hadn't been done in years. They all the generals, commanders, everybody underneath him uh kind of laughed him off a little bit. Laughed out, like Napoleon's not to be taken seriously. And then he comes in and he pushes the Austrian army back with ease, and they start to respect him and gets them to sign the Treaty of Campo Formio, resulting in territorial gains for the French. The following year, the Directory, which was a five-person, uh, you know, leadership group that was in charge of France, there was no formal leader uh they offered to let Napoleon lead an invasion of England, which was a big deal. You know, if you don't know, I think most people do, Uh, France and England were bitter, bitter enemies throughout the Middle Ages into colonial times. Uh, And everything, I mean, that all kind of ceased at the turn of the 20th century, but they were just bitter, bitter rivals. Uh, And this was a big deal. If Napoleon could have invaded, successfully invaded England, uh, you know this it would have been an absolutely remarkable, but uh, this was not to be. He determined that France's naval for, forces were not yet ready to go up against the British Royal Navy, which was the best in the world at that time. It was actually a big shock that America defeated the British because of how superior their navy was uh, amongst other military forces, but instead, he proposed an invasion of Egypt in an effort to wipe out British trade routes with India uh they secure, secured a victory against the egypt's military rule rulers the mamluks uh at the battle of the pyramids in july 1798 which is kind of <laughs> be kind of cool name that's a great Isn't... name
1: for a battle right the battle of the pyramids that sounds, <laughs> it that is sounds i guess they were,
0: i guess they were 15 miles away from the pyramids like so yeah. it was within eyesight uh i, 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 th- I think it, which is like cool man like if I was a French soldier back in the day, I'm just picturing me now. Oh, man, I'd be looking at the pyramids the whole time. Yeah, getting,
1: I definitely, yeah. I would definitely get shot looking at pyramids. That's 100%. <laughs> That's what happened to me because I'm I'm fascinated by those things. Me too. I'm such a dork. Uh, <laughs> but I'm proud of it. I'm proud of it. Um, but however, I, 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 no, I was going to say one thing real quick Yeah. Um, that I really also found fascinating because at this time, if you were like a leader of an army, uh, I mean, this was almost in all armies. It wasn't like you were down with uh, you know, your soldiers fighting. You were kind of behind and all this stuff. But that wasn't how Napoleon operated. He would actually get in and help with cannons and such, and that would actually be with his soldiers, and that's what would start endearing him to them. That's, that's a very important point because, I mean, they
0: could the soldiers were, like, not paid well at all. They walked around in tattered clothes and, like, Bad, like bad boots, there was giant holes in their boots, and, and this and that, and they were just very low on morale. Like the French army would be getting the shit kicked out of them for the entire, you know, the entire 18th century, uh, essentially, and they were just exhausted. But Napoleon found a way to really connect with them, and that's that's an important thing too. He was a leader, not like a boss. He actually got involved, like you said, pushed cannons around. Um, he would actually dine with his soldiers. At night, uh, they would camp out with them and spend time with them. Uh, but he, mo- but he was a great motivator. That's he was a good people person, and that's why he has like this cult follow. He had a cult following, and uh, you know, still kind of does to this day. You know, I think a lot of people that support and 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 read about his works kind of, I guess, would be a cult follower. Yeah, I think
1: I think any anybody who uh, is a leader, and this can be in any field, not just in uh, the armed forces or whatever. But if if somebody's like a leader of a group or a boss or whatever you want to call it, but they also will get their, uh, I guess you want to say get their hands dirty along with the, the workers and stuff, Absolutely. That, that always goes a long way with your, and especially helps your reputation with those people. And they're way more likely to follow you uh, when you want to go in a certain direction. No,
0: 100%. And I mean, the cool thing too, not to jump ahead too much, but he continued to do this even when he was emperor uh which you know goes a long way but um but regardless uh the the British who caught wind of you know france trying to cut off british trade routes in egypt uh their navy came aboard uh came about came to and actually destroyed france's naval fleet um so they were that was that was a big hit for them but regardless uh in early seventeen ninety nine napoleon, napoleon or, Excuse me. Napoleon's army launched an invasion of the Ottoman Empire, uh, which is today in Syria. Uh, in that summer, with the political situation in France marked by uncertainty, the ever-ambitious and cunning Napoleon opted to abandon his army in Egypt and return to France. So he was a, technically a deserter, which is... Uh, you know, kind of crazy as a bunch of a military guy, but he had been keeping up. He'd be getting pamphlets and and stuff, you know, to keep up with French politics awaiting pretty much biding his time. And it was kind of convenient too, because uh, France actually wanted him to return home from this Egypt, uh, you know, Egypt, siege on Egypt, the Ottoman Empire battle, um, because they were worried about an invasion on French soil. Uh, But he, he, technically deserted but technically was called home anyways but uh november of 1799 in an event known as the coup of 18 brumaire napoleon was part of the group that successfully overthrew the french directory so the people that gave him a bunch of power uh napoleon end up uh, usurping power from them and quickly organized it uh just quickly organized government and society to prevent anarchy because like we said at the top of the show Napoleon, uh, France was a mess at that time. Twenty years of constant government changes, uh, revolution, this and that. People are exhausted. So when Napoleon, a guy who has a following from soldiers and the people, absolutely adore him for you know his victories for the French, they really got behind him uh, and were excited to have a stable ruler to sit and and you know so things didn't keep changing all the time. But he came in, uh, established a three-member consulate, and Napoleon made himself first consul. Uh, and the other two consulates, uh, you know, consuls, just gave advisory stuff. Napoleon was the face of it. And throughout this time, uh, he was still leading battles. He took uh, an army to the Battle of Marengo and defeated the Austrians again, drove them out completely out of Italy. And the victory helped cement Napoleon's power as first consul. Additionally, the Treaty of Amiens in 1802, the war weary British agreed to peace with France, although it only lasted for a year. Uh, you know, Napoleon worked very hard to establish uh, stability, and as we said, in post revolutionary France, centralized the government, instituted reforms in areas such as banking and education, supported science and the arts, and sought to improve relations with his, between his regime and the Pope. Uh, obviously, the Pope, uh, you know, c- Catholicism was really big in France. It was the main religion, and it had been. Uh, the relationship between France and the Pope has been a little bit uneasy. Uh, even
1: time. the relationship between Napoleon and and being Catholic was also uneasy.
0: Yes, oh, you, know, you, you aren't kidding. You aren't kidding, and this this comes back to uh, this all comes full circle too, which I find particularly interesting. Um, but during this time, and I, I want to find a copy of this book. Uh, Because there is available, but Napoleon came up with the Napoleonic Code, which streamlined the French legal system and is actually the foundation of French civil law to this day. It's actually a lot of places that were part of the French Empire have adopted most, if not all, of Napoleonic Code into their legal system. Uh, In 1802, a constitutional amendment uh, made Napoleon first consul for life. I believe it was called... Uh, amendment 8 or something like that uh 2 years later in 1804 he crowned himself emperor of france in a lavish ceremony at the cathedral of notre dame in paris and this was particularly a, it was a big powerful moment because in those 2 years in between he tried to establish uh he tried to establish a good relationship with the pope but uh in his ceremony and i remember learning about this in 7th grade this was a power move on his part uh, he had a, a replica made of Charlemagne's crown, which is this beautiful crown. It was buried with Charlemagne back in the 1300s or 1400s whenever he passed away. Um, but instead of allowing the Pope to put the crown on Napoleon's head, Napoleon took the crown from the Pope and placed it upon his own head. Actually, no, he placed it upon his wife's uh, head, he put, put it on Josephine's head. Um, he actually made his own crown to kind of uh, look like Caesar, uh, kind of like Caesar's crown, but um, traditionally, when a king uh, associated with Catholicism was, you know, anointed emperor, what, whatever it may be, uh, they allowed the Pope to put the crown on their own head, uh, which symbol—it was a symbolic thing. So, for him to take it from the Pope, place it on Josephine, was actually a really big deal. Um, so, from 1803 to 1815, France was engaged in the Napoleonic Wars. Pretty much it was France versus Europe, uh, yes. <laughs> which is putting it nicely. He pissed off just about everybody, uh, legit just about everybody. He can't, you know, the multiple, multiple coalitions. i seen they, they put seven coalitions against him between the British, uh, Spanish, Austrians, the Ottomans, um, the Prussians, which is technically Germany. Uh, They all put coalitions against him, and and time after time, they they kind of failed. But um, as a means, in 1803, uh, like Johnny alluded to earlier, uh, Napoleon sold France's Louisiana territory to the newly independent United States of America for $15 million, um, which is a big deal back then, and legit double the size of the United States, and this purchase helped fund
1: uh, France's upcoming wars. And it was still technically cheap. Uh, we got a lot of land for fairly cheap at that point too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, I
0: think France realized that they weren't See, I've heard different st- theories on this. Is that I mean, France kind of knew that the you know, the the United States thing it was, you know, it was out the window, but I also heard stuff that he had plans to invade uh if if his European conquest took off that he had plans to just invade the US and and take over uh, retake it back. Eventually. Uh, I've, he- I have heard that before
1: too. Oh. Nothing confirmed, but it would have been a very bold move on his part. Kind of like you own grand theft auto. When <laughs> you, you pay a certain lady of the night and, but you didn't just take your money back by very violent means. Yeah. Oh, I never yeah, okay. pay full
0: price for that shit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so that's I don't it. condone that action. <laughs> I'm glad you put that. That's a great analogy. Actually. Um, in October of 1805, the British wiped Napoleon's fleet at the Battle of Trafalgar. However, in December that same year, Napoleon achieved what is considered one of his greatest victories at the Battle of Australis, in which his army defeated the Austrians and Russians, uh, which was a very big deal. The victory resulted in the dissolution of the Holy Roman Empire and the, Confederation, and the creation of the Confederation of the Rhine. This actually has big consequences down the road when, um, at the time, Germany uh was kind of the holy it's part of the Holy Roman Empire as well. Um but the Germanic lands there was three hundred separate like little areas and this condensed it quite a bit and it actually made when Otto von Bismarck uh unified Germany in the late in the late eighteen hundreds, this actually um set the pathway for that, for united Germany. So I thought that was a cool tidbit there. Um, Beginning in 1806, Napoleon sought to wage large-scale economic warfare against Britain and created a constitutional – or continental system of European port blockades against British trade. Um, So basically any any place that he took over, he was just trying to really shut down the British, and it failed miserably. But – in 1807, following Napoleon's defeat of the Russians at Friedland in Prussia, Alexander actually signed a peace settlement, the Treaty of Tilsit, and uh, Russia agreed to this Continental System for a limited amount of time. But uh, it didn't uh, it didn't pan out all that well um, in the long run. During those years, though, Napoleon reestablished a French aristocracy, which uh, was a big part of the French Revolution. They wanted. Uh, you know, serfdom was kind of abolished, and, and all this stuff, and uh, but Napoleon brought back French aristocrats, which was you know it's kind of crazy because he was against it. He was actually for the revolution and uh, a lot of the ideals that people were fighting for. But he began to hand out titles and nobility to his friends and family as his empire continued to grow. Um, but anyway, this is where things start to turn south for napoleon essentially in 1810 russia withdrew from the continental system they had actually been trading with britain all along uh because their russia's economy is very wholly based on trade they don't have great land they can't their crops are very limited uh it's it's just a barren ice you know iceland essentially so they relied heavily on trade um but they Napoleon decided to invade within two years and this was this was the beginning of the, the end for for Napoleon this was a big deal and it was it's been often mimicked but never successfully done uh, but russia russia or excuse me France invaded from the West but what Russia would do very wisely is they would do this scorched earth tactic where they would retreat, cutting off supply lines for um napoleon's forces who napoleon actually taught the french army to live off the land growing crops taking you know what they can do with that and sorry alexander who was a good friend of napoleon's for a few years uh knew that so that's what they did they constantly retreated and burned retreated and burned and uh napoleon who was very excited they were almost in uh in moscow and alexander actually burned moscow to the ground which was a big deal it's largely wooden uh but it it hurt napoleon's army because they were without supplies um, and now almost without shelter a lot of their guys stayed in the uh, a lot of the military stayed, actually stayed in the kremlin uh, which is one of the only buildings that really stood tall by the end of the burning uh and then after five weeks napoleon decided to retreat and as he was retreating the russians advanced and were picking off his troops what you know little by little they actually went with six hundred thousand troops uh, who began the campaign and came back with only a hundred thousand, maybe. So this was a big deal. Um, and then back, you know, back at home, the uh, Napoleon tried to try it again, uh, being a little arrogant with his empire, and got engaged in the Peninsula War, where uh, Austrians, Prussians, Russian, and Swedish troops actually uh, pushed Napoleon to retreat back to France, and they captured Paris. Uh, Napoleon was forced to abdicate his throne with the Treaty of Fontainebleau uh, and it was exiled to Alba, a Mediterranean island off the coast of Italy. Uh, he was actually given sovereignty over the small island while his wife and son went to Austria. Uh, so he was actually emperor of Alba. <laughs> he, just, it was too small of a land. It was like 6 miles long by 15 miles wide. Uh, and he did his best, but he just couldn't contain his e- his ego. But, um he, that wasn't it for Napoleon though is this is where it gets interesting uh, on February 26 1815, after less than a year in exile, Napoleon escaped Elba and sailed to the French mainland with more than a thousand supporters. On March 20th, he returned to Paris, where he was welcomed by cheering crowds. The king who replaced him uh, from the House of Bourbon, uh, Louis XVIII, fled. Uh, he was not a very popular leader, very cowardly uh, at that. And uh, Napoleon began what became known as his 100 Days Campaign. And as soon as he got into the th- in throne, as soon as he got into power, everybody started, formed a coalition against him again. They're just like, we're not putting up with this shit, essentially. Uh, the Austrians, the British, Prussians, and Russians who considered the emperor a uh, an enemy to peace in Europe. So he was kind of labeled as a a shit disturber, (laughs) I think is a nice way of putting it. Uh, they went on the offensive to prepare for war and Napoleon, uh, raised a new army very quickly, 450,000. He, he got, but he was still outnumbered at the battle of Waterloo,
1: uh, which is, yes, which which is, which is fairly famous. I mean, I think everybody's at least heard, uh, uh, even if you don't know what it is, you've heard the terms, the bottom, the battle of Waterloo. Um, I I also think it's really important here to note that he was really popular amongst his people. Uh, he was beloved. And a part of it is because you kind of mentioned earlier, uh, he was really, really smart with propaganda. He was very, very smart with it to the point where even if, let's say, his army goes into somewhere and they don't do the best, he would still have a painting made or whatever, and he would come back looking like a hero and he'd be cheered for it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, cuz yeah, he was he would write. He actually started his own yeah, he
0: only he started his own newspaper, but he would constantly write for it and and he can yeah, he controlled the media and how they talked to about him, which uh which goes a long way. He was very smart in realizing that um that maybe the pen is truly mightier than the sword. Public perception is very easily manipulated and and yeah, Napoleon was smart and he controlled that aspect and looked like a million bucks every time, every time.
1: Yeah, pretty smart. Pretty smart. So, what is the Battle of Waterloo, Matt? What is the
0: Battle Battle Waterloo? It was uh, it was near Brussels, and the French were crushed by the British, mostly with with assistance from the Prussians, um, which was uh, yeah, this was essentially Napoleon's last last stand, as mentioned. Uh, his troops were very inexperienced at this time. It, we need he would just draft. He would draft men, um. You know, I, I don't remember the age. I would imagine 18 and up, but he would just draft them. And one of his generals uh, made a move too late, and it actually ended up screwing up the whole operation. Napoleon actually almost won this battle. Uh, but one of his generals uh, left too late, was slaughtered. They created a really wise formation against him. And, uh, and Napoleon... His troops, his army, just everything, just wiped out. You know, and he was forced to abdicate his throne once again, this time permanently. Um, I think they, did they make a movie off of this? I don't remember if they did. I feel like they, I've heard of a movie called Waterloo.
1: And I've had to, right? Because uh, it's such a famous historical
0: thing. You would think, um, but anyways, this was it. Uh, Napoleon was sent to Saint Helena, which is in the South Atlantic Ocean, actually off the west coast of Africa. So very, very far away um from France and he died there on May fifth, eighteen twenty one, uh most likely from stomach cancer. So they actually believed because in all of his paintings he used to hold his uh his hand in his coat and very Fest. famous for that. Yeah. That's his like unique look. They thought that he might have been plagued by it for years, or by stomach pain at least for years. But um but yeah, and that was the pretty much the life of Napoleon.
1: Yeah, very very like, fascinating, too, just the the level of fame and power he rose to, honestly. Uh, yeah. Very fascinating. Because he, like you said before, he definitely took advantage of some things. He did. I mean, t- another thing, too, I mean, he wasn't, he
0: was a small-time noble. You know, his family was small-time nobility. At that time, you didn't run a country unless your family, it was in your blood. Essentially, Uh, you know, that's why there was 18 Louis on the throne. And, (laughs) you know, Napoleon was the first was the first. And, you know, he wanted to um, I guess we didn't really touch on it. But his 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 second marriage uh, was because uh, he wanted this empire to continue. He wanted the Bonaparte's name to uh, to live on his empire to live on. And, you know, he married a second wife. uh, I'm losing her name right now if you could remind me
1: i really don't remember <laughs> i don't and neither do i but
0: she she actually bore him a son and you know the the first time that or actually the second time that napoleon had abdicated his throne he was hoping that his son napoleon the Second would take over but that never um that never came to fruition um all right this week we don't have any statistics because it's kind of hard to do uh, on Napoleon I would have been really reaching.
1: Okay, but, uh, real quick, just a callback. Yeah. Second wife, uh, Marie Louise. That's that what it, right? it is. Yeah, yep.
0: she was the daughter of uh, a king. I want to say Vienna or Duchess
1: Austria. of Parma, according Parma. to
0: this. Okay. So one of those countries that he was trying to make peace with and it helped unite the kingdoms uh, a little bit – and but yeah she eventually bore him a son and napoleon never seen him again after 1814 to be on to be perfectly honest but um but as i said there were no statistics uh to do but what
1: isn't that isn't that weird i mean i'm sorry to keep going no, back to okay. this but isn't it strange where uh, that's happened before f- of quite a few times where somebody uh ridiculously famous like napoleon and uh benjamin franklin just to use those two cuz they're around the same time period kind of Uh, where it would have would bear sons and but would become very estranged to them yeah it's it's it is kind of strange Uh, and and those are i mean those are just
0: two very small you know just two examples there's been a a, a ton of those um yeah there's gonna be a lot
1: of pressure too if you're the son of a napoleon or a benjamin franklin or heck even even today's era say if you're a son of a sports star somebody who was Really big in sports, like Michael Jordan. I'll just use an example. He's got some sons. Like you can't live up to that. No, you, <laughs> you can't. Know? There, there is an enormous amount
0: of pressure, and it's very rarely seen um, where that continuation is is very successful. Um, sometimes the son is a little comes off a little bit weaker than the father as a leader. Um, yeah, and, and it's it's happened many a times in the past, but. Um, Napoleon's son actually never ended up ruling uh, France, but his nephew did, who ended up becoming Napoleon the uh, Third. That's a discussion for another day. But um, as mentioned, you can't do stats, but there's Napoleon's post mortem story is almost as interesting as his life. So we're gonna check that out right now. <laughs> All right, so Napoleon, uh, as with a lot of leaders, I actually didn't find this out. Like, I found this out about Abraham Lincoln too. Like, he wasn't finally buried until like 1880, which was pretty wild. Um, but there's something about like postmort like death that
1: amuses me. It's like it, it's kind of it comes off weird, and I don't don't know how to put it into words. <laughs> no, I know what you mean, but, it's, it's very strange because in our culture today. When somebody passes away, like they're pretty much buried within three to four days, right? Usually, yes. Uh, but you know, even like Lincoln's a good example. But anybody who was incredibly important or famous to an area, it was not uncommon. I think it was even it was not uncommon to uh, keep them or keep their body around for quite a while before burial. Uh, I mean, it even happened with families too. Like they would have wakes in your house. And the body would stay there for for days, yeah, for like a week, burial.
0: a week at, at a yeah. time, and and that still happens. I think a lot of political, yeah, like presidents. I think when Reagan died, he might have been like in the ca- uh, like displayed for like a week of mourning, and then yeah, I mean, they buried. literally
1: took Lincoln's body across the country so people could come and mourn it. So yeah, yeah it, it happens.
0: It it definitely does, and it that happened with Napoleon. And like we said, he was buried in Saint Helena, which is uh, you know off the west southern west coast of Africa. It's a very far trip from France. Uh, And after like a lot of those years, well, after actually twenty years, uh, they proposed they wanted to bring Napoleon's body back. It was partially a political move, um, you know, to kind of because this new regime that was. You know, in control uh, was failing very hard, and they, they tried to appease the French people by bringing Napoleon's body back, but um, but they eventually did. Yeah, twenty years later, I believe it was eighteen forty. Um, so it, it had been quite some time, but um, but yeah, they on uh, they went to. They went to St. Went Helena. They unburied uh, Napoleon, and they actually, like, took his, like, casket off. It was kind of crazy. Like, they, they opened up his body. It was actually very well preserved, too. His, you know, he, everything was still in good condition. His the skin was still, you know, it seemed like it was relatively, uh, what's the phrase for it, fresh. Uh, <laughs> it seemed yeah. and only only <laughs> I guess it's the best way to put it. <laughs> but um, you know, his clothes were were a little bit tattered. But other than that, uh, yeah, they October fourteenth, eighteen forty, they uncovered the tomb of Napoleon. And yeah, they legit opened it. It was layered. It was very layered. His casket, and they opened it up. And there's actually really cool artwork. I I almost wish we were doing this in video format. And uh, Johnny, I'll send it to. You. Uh, via messenger. Maybe you've seen it already, but yeah, it's uncovered. They uncover him. He's like a ghastly white, but he still looks the same like 20 years after his death. Uh, Wow. Which many people believed was because, uh, at first because of arsenic, they believed he was poisoned by arsenic and murdered, uh, on his deathbed. But, um, they worked hard. They, they sent him back in and they brought him back to the Les Invalides. Uh, I probably didn't say that right either. Um, but it was a it was a tough effort because they were worried that the British were going to try and sink him, uh, which I did not know. to sink the ship so they couldn't return his body back to uh, to France. So it was a little bit of a messy situation, and I won't elaborate it too much, everybody, because I mean this is going to be a uh, there's plenty to go in this episode. But if you're what, wanted to you know really want to look at this, that's uh, there's a lot to Napoleon's. Uh, removal from Saint Helena back to France there's a lot that went with it um but yeah that's that's pretty much that like i said i can go very much deeper into it but it's uh you know they they brought him back in like in the rain like i think it's just absolutely wild uh to move a body that far um you know to to rebury it. i mean it, was it fitting absolutely napoleon was a glorious leader for the french people um but just they went through a lot to get him back Back home. Um, But yeah, that's that. Uh, Johnny, I think we're ready for some trivia facts.
1: That's right. Welcome to Napoleon Bonaparte. What the facts? Uh, with WTF. <laughs> um. Yeah, I got quite a few here uh, that I found very interesting, and feel free, Matt, to add in some stuff that you may know about each of these per- uh things here. Sure. Uh, but I mentioned earlier before how fascinating I kind of found his marriage to his first wife, Josephine. Uh, actually, when they were first married, uh, on their marriage contract, on their marriage certificate, uh, Josephine subtracted four years off of her age. And Napoleon actually added almost two years to his, just so their ages would be kind of would be closer to each other than what they actually were. I did not hear that. Uh,
0: I did hear something though that Josephine was wasn't even actually her real name. That Napoleon <laughs> changed her name. Uh, <laughs> that sounds that sounds like him. It's, it doesn't it? Yeah. Or, yeah, her name was Marie Joseph Rose Tascher de la Pagerie. Well, that's uh, a
1: lot to say. So who can blame him? So no. he
0: just like you know what, screw it. Your name's Josephine. You're my wife. Uh, <laughs>
1: <laughs> so yeah, uh, this one you already kind of mentioned, but I think everybody kind of knows this, but I, I believe it's important. Uh, he was five foot six around in there, which I mean, to us, I mean, to man, I know Matt, you're a big guy. I'm a big guy. Uh, that's kind of short for us, but at that time and at that era, that was actually close to average. Um. This one I found really fascinating. He actually wrote a romance novel and, uh, it was never actually published in his lifetime and it took forever for it to actually even be published. Uh, they found these papers, uh, of this romance novel he wrote. I, it, I don't remember all the details of the actual novel. Basically it's about a soldier, you know, it makes sense. Cause that's when he was a soldier, uh, falls in love and all this stuff. Uh, it would end up getting it only even recently within the past twenty years get uh, get an English uh, you know translation. translation so, yeah. uh, so that's that, that, like you said before though. That's not a, that makes sense because he was a writer, you know.
0: Yeah, uh, I guess he used to write some very disturbing things too. Like somebody went <laughs> yes. through his letter. Like it was some extreme stuff, and it could be misconstrued uh, perhaps. Yeah. But Napoleon, I mean, he he wrote a lot of stuff. Just for his own personal sake, and, and there was a lot of uh, a lot of inter- interesting stuff in, in some of his works.
1: Yeah, uh, another thing about Napoleon, I'd heard I'd heard this before, where he had a fear of cats. That's what they yes. like to say. <laughs> um, they actually don't know if this is true or not. A lot of people claim it, but there's not really any direct evidence of him having one opinion more or the other about cats. Uh, but I've always heard that he was very scared of them. Um, yeah he used to
0: send people to inspect areas like any place where he camped he'd he'd send people to inspect the area to make sure there
1: was no cats that's yeah, awesome. I mean yeah cats are scary <laughs> uh he considered himself a scientist uh he was actually elected member of the National Institute of science uh actually it was called the the National Institute, which was a science society uh in post revolutionary france and I say that because uh he when he was in Egypt with his army. He actually took a bunch of scientists and artists everywhere he went. He would take scientists and artists with him. That's why you'd see all these these arts. He'd make sure you have artists with them too. Uh, but they actually found the Rosetta Stone. I was hoping you were going to bring that up. That's a very important, uh, you know, piece yeah. of history. Most certainly, we would not have been able to uh, decipher the hieroglyphics without that thing. So that was beyond important. Uh, there were actually uh, let's get into Saint Helena. I also found that found that place kind of fascinating. Uh, it's a tough place to get into. It's uh, it's kind of its own little area. It really, when I was reading descriptions of it, reminded me of Alcatraz, kind of. Yes, yes. Uh, very rocky, high cliffs, and on top of that, the British had put a lot of defenses on it because they knew people would try to come there and and uh, rescue him, so to say. And there were actually many attempts to do that. Uh, some of these ideas to rescue him from St. Helena included boats, which makes sense balloons and even somebody had an idea for a primitive submarine type vehicle <laughs> uh, it never actually came to fruition though no and i'm going to le- end it with this one this one also made sense to me once i because uh, i'd heard of the napoleon house in new orleans uh the fifth mayor of new orleans actually had that house built for napoleon specifically and i hoped napoleon would actually move there uh, obviously that never happened but uh he actually the the mayor who built it or had it built actually ended up moving in there himself instead. That's that's another important point too. He originally
0: before getting exiled, and I found this out yesterday, he tried to exile himself in the United States, but uh the British caught on to him. Uh I think it was it might have been the first time, which that would uh I mean that would be amazing if Napoleon would have ventured his way to the united states you know what kind of effect that would have had um and who knows he might have he might have tried his hand at one more uh one more shot or or maybe just retired uh completely but um you know like we discussed earlier that rumor that he was planned on invading the u.s once his european conquests were over
1: yeah Uh, and apparently this same mayor uh had also was obviously new orleans has a a huge tie to France. Uh, he, uh, they had also taken in a lot of uh, high ranking soldiers from Napoleon's army. Oh, uh, who had actually moved over to here uh, into the city of new Orleans.
0: No kidding. That's yeah. a cool fact. I did not know that. That's why we do it though. That's why we do it. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's, uh, let's, uh, me and Johnny are about to give our take on Napoleon's effect on the history of the world. So, I mean, Napoleon had long-lasting effects on on European culture, and as we mentioned, you know, in his history, the Napoleonic Code, which became a civil law uh, basis for a lot of European countries. But uh, Napoleon's a very widely discussed. Uh, you know, person, uh, and, and, you know, obviously Hitler, legit the devil, um, actually looked up to to Napoleon, which is kind of wild. Uh, I did not know this uh, until yesterday, but um, Hitler actually, uh, vi- when he invaded France in 1940, whatever, whatever year that was, the first thing he went to visit was Napoleon's grave, and he visited it every day that he was there and he uh he actually as a gift to the french people because napoleon's son napoleon the second was buried in um in vienna and hitler controlled vienna at that point uh he exhumed napoleon's son's body and brought it all the way to france uh and it's it's really creepy that that's a gift um but I, I don't know because it's it's Hitler. So I mean, everything he does is creepy as shit and, and doesn't make any sense. But he has had an ever- everlasting effect on uh, the world. He's very widely discussed uh, amongst scholars, historians, and uh, in, in people as to the kind of ruler that he was. Was he as you know great as, as you know people boast him out to be? I think so. I mean, I mean, was he perfect by any means? No no, not any means, but he was a great leader for his people. Uh, you know, it, it, I
1: think, I think that's key yeah. there. What you just said for his people, uh, you know, um, for me, honestly, I feel like he's a name that everybody knows. Yeah. Uh, everybody's heard of Napoleon. Even, even us selfish self, you know, we're very into ourselves and our own history. Americans, uh, we know who he was. We've heard that name. Uh, he was vital for America actually changing shape quite literally. Uh, so it's, it's, and I think that he, his, he's a, he's another tough one for me just because it, it's like he did so many things that if I was French, I would probably be like, yeah, this guy is my hero. Right. Well, he did so many great things, but that's the same thing with, and I'm not saying these are the same people, but Genghis Khan is another one. Like he's a hero to some people, and other peoples he's a monster. That's that's you know?
0: that's an excellent point, and yeah, you can look at that at any point in history. Uh, just about actually, I don't think the German people were very fond of Hitler, but a lot of these conquerors. Uh, but
1: they were at first, though. They
0: were at first. That is true. Yeah, they, they, they can't deny that. Um, but a lot of these conquerors, uh, you know, were revered by their people. When the Americans expanded out west, and were. Um, you know, getting rid of the natives, uh, you know.
1: Yeah, even during the uh, American Civil War, uh, Lincoln was vilified by half the country. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's 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 really, it's always, I think one of the quotes that you always hear is that history is dictated by the victor. Yes. You know, by, by who wins. And I think that's very true in a lot of cases. Uh, and that's even kind of, and I think a lot of these major leaders especially during that during that era and before that era uh, that's why it's kind of tough to uh, decide if uh, like I understand completely why you like find him very fascinating because he's a fascinating person and he has a fascinating history yeah but at the same time like I could also understand if I was somebody that at that time lived in a country that France had invaded I would hate him <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah
0: absolutely i mean i try to read as much as i can and you know people like napoleon and even like even hitler and like i said we, we've been referencing him quite a bit these and i'd read a book on joseph stalin before too you, you kind of tr- try and read into their psyche and why they thought that the way that they did and it's is you know they effed up ways of thinking uh make good case studies i think too uh, as to why that they thought that they were and and why they thought they were so righteous in some cases so I, I tend to look at those guys and and, and really like analyzing them. Uh, you know the jury's already out on them by most people but for my own personal take just you know why why was Napoleon like this? a lot of a lot of his ambitions uh, of world domi- you know world domination stemmed from uh, being bullied as a child. You know, it, it, it stemmed from that. Rejection from friends. He didn't know who to trust. Uh, you know, his estranged relationship with his first wife. Uh, a, a lot of that helped create him, you know, give him this overly ambitious uh, purpose or, or, you know, essentially. He was his own worst enemy uh, at the very end. You know what I mean? He's like a gambler. Oh, yeah. uh, kept winning, kept winning. And he won like 40-something battles. And then he bent off too much. Uh, more than he can chew and it ended up being his downfall but but i always like looking at why those guys are the way that they are why they think uh the way that they do i think it's it's always interesting you know no matter if you agree with that person's philosophies or not for history's sake it's always important to look at both sides
1: yeah and also i mean literally i mean i made a joke at the very beginning of the episode we have a term called the napoleon complex because yeah. of him yes so i mean that's that's if that, if you have a term coined after you I would dare say you've affected pop culture. <laughs> he you know, it's funny. He, I've seen him in a lot of like cartoons. He's he's in he's in a lot of like yes.
0: cartoons. I remember there was this old uh time travel show back in the early two thousands. Um and and they showed him. He was like he was like two feet tall. Um I, I can't remember I wish I remembered this show. It was a, it was a really good show, but you know, he's constantly referenced. He's everywhere. Uh, there's statues of him everywhere, paintings, in uh, pretty much everywhere. So he, he's very widely known, renowned. Uh, he was in
1: he was in freaking Bill and Ted for Grounded. That's
0: tr- yeah. That's that's another yeah. case in point. So and there's nothing more important to pop culture than Bill and Ted. So, <laughs> so yeah, I think that about wraps it up, Johnny. You got anything to add?
1: No, this was a very fascinating one, and I'm I'm glad that we're. Uh, going all going all over the place with this show. I get to learn new things about uh, subject matter that even though I was aware of, I may not have had a deep history with and I love learning stuff. So, uh, this was a very fun episode for me personally just because I didn't know I mean I knew of Napoleon, I knew some of the stuff, but I didn't know the meat of his story if it makes any sense. So that was that was really fun for me.
0: Yeah, uh, me too. I I liked to be able to show off my history now. Everybody thinks I'm just this dumb sports fan and comic book reader, but I actually have a deep appreciation for history. Uh I always have. And and as I've mentioned many times, Napoleon was one of my favorite kind of people to study. There there's so many more that we are going to hit up on this show. Uh the the round the possibilities are absolutely endless with Retro Pop and that's why I love doing the show so much. Um as well as the you know the, the pretty lax recording schedule too, but uh <laughs> yes, that, that helps quite a lot. It, yeah. it does, but you know there's there's so much more we're going to tackle. You know this is legit a taste uh, of what we can do here with retro pop, going from video games to history, and uh, you know Johnny, hey, I, I want to drop ideas. a little hint here. Yeah, go what's
1: ahead. next? Uh, what's next? If you were a kid like me and you loved reading. Uh, getting the Sunday paper to look for a little certain section with some uh, uh, some colorful characters in it Uh, getting in some certain situations that might have been humorous Uh, stay tuned for the next episode
0: yeah so lots of good things on the horizon I'm excited I hope you're all excited Uh, but we can't wait to present it to you everybody on behalf of me myself and Johnny thank you so much for your support and listening to us here at retro pop